Don't Shoot the Deputies. Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. At the time of this recording, we're just one week into 2021 and we are in lockdown. Educators have been plunged into the world of remote learning once again, while our schools have stayed very much open for many children. Steve, a very happy new year. What kind of week has it been for you? Good afternoon, Russell. Uh, I think it's fair to say it's been quite a demanding week this week, um, full of surprise. There's been obstacles to overcome as per the first lockdown. However, it's felt a lot more demanding this time for me personally. When I consider the first lockdown, we knew we were going into lockdown at very short notice, similarly to this one. However, the work demands are now feeling like they're a lot higher. We can't just send home a blanket week of work to do. It's very much more precise, um, engaging for the children. And everyone's expectation during this anxious thinking this week has actually meant that it's finding the correct balance between what we're setting, how we're supporting families at mm-hmm. home, appreciating our own uh, work-life balance as well. So it's been a difficult week and one that I'm very glad to see the weekend. Um, we're getting there, I would say, and I don't think people should be feeling guilty or ashamed of where they're at by the end of this week because there's been a lot of coping mm. and a lot of survival this week. I think everyone just has to take in the fact that this lockdown was quite a surprise. We, people would have seen it coming, but at the same time, very surprised at the swiftness of the turnaround to national lockdown. Mm. And so acknowledge the situation, prepare the best we can prepare in the timeframes we have, and just look for constant development week on week, I feel. Mm. I think that's a really good reflection about the expectation and I think when you talk about expectation you've got expectation of yourself upon yourself and those around you but you've also got the expectation of your community and you're quite right that in the first lockdown it was such an unknown to everybody I think the community were very understanding that remote learning was not something we'd really sort of au fait with, had quite a minimal expectation, nothing to compare it to, where this time I think there's a sense from many parents and carers, and I do understand it, and I think it's it's fairly justified that the expectation should be higher this time, but I think teachers also have that of themselves. I know for my staff, they want to do the very best job that they can. They've absolutely worked their socks off through the autumn term to help children catch up, and then it's really quite painful to then not be able to support those children in the same way. So to know that there are children at home, potentially not engaging, who uh, for the last few months, they've really, really worked hard with to catch up. That's hard for teachers. So I don't think we even need uh, particularly high or demanding expectations from those around us, because I think we'll be putting them on ourselves to be the very best that we can be and to do the very best we can for the children in this scenario. I'd agree with that. And I think any anger that I've seen this week and blame culture, a lot of it arises out of anxiety in itself. And Mm. this is an incredibly stressful situation for everybody, Uh, not just teaching community. You think about people who would have been furloughed, possibly losing jobs. Everyone is facing difficulty right now. So where you see this anger, you kind of need to take it with a pinch of salt and acknowledge where we're at right now. And for me, I'd be quite interested, actually, Russell. Now, I was tier four, and we've got incredibly high rates within our local community. So we knew we were shut mm. uh, from Monday onwards. Uh, we had an inset there on Monday just to prepare ourselves. Now, 
you're on the opposite side of the country. You weren't in, in tier four and you were open, well, on the Monday. How did it impact your community and your own school and find out late at night that you actually had national lockdown imposed? Mm, that's a really good point, Steve. I do think it's very different. So I'm based in Devon, if people don't know. I mention it in pretty much every episode, so you should know by now. And our rates are significantly lower than the rest of the country. Now, that's not to say that we're not anxious about the virus. We're not conscious of the virus. But I do think you're going to have a different perspective if you're a teacher that's based down this way than if you were in the southeast for example like you Steve where the rates were extremely high so on that Monday uh, luckily we had an inset day so the children weren't in then anyway and Steve I was delivering an inset about visual communication strategies with the teachers that I thought they could apply in their lessons in class because I really did not believe we would be doing more remote learning that week then we had some pings on our phones and Robert Peston had leaked that schools were going to close Mm. and we were still saying no not overnight and maybe not for our part of the country maybe just for those tier four areas so I have to admit perhaps we were naive but we were quite shocked at at, at the turnaround so what it meant for us Steve was a senior leadership meeting at about half eight nine o'clock at night Um, and I'm I'm just grateful because (laughs) you were already dealing with it Steve and you were a bit Mm. more prepared for it I'd already been talking it through with you and saying I think this might be something I would try with our staff (laughs) if this happened to us so I had a few ideas which made me feel a bit ahead when it came to talking with my colleagues but I'm really grateful for the team I had around me and I really feel for leaders out there who perhaps are operating in tiny leadership teams or even on their own in small village Mm. schools for example where you really don't always feel like you've got someone to bounce ideas off of and I'm lucky I've got a head teacher and three other assistant heads around me um, to communicate with about these things so we were able to put a plan together that we were all comfortable with share it with our staff and it's already had a few tweaks but I certainly felt relatively calm about getting going with it all and it's been a a fairly good start and then I think it just like for everyone Steve it's just dawned on us that gosh now this is this is a new way of working for some time now and we want to we want to make it as successful as possible. I agree with that and it's a really difficult concept to get your head around going to your own work or or working from home suddenly when you've got a family around you that also need the devices, the support to access their own. And that balance this week has been incredibly difficult. And I know I just think you can only say to people that they just need to step back and feel like you have actually achieved stuff this week and don't feel incredibly guilty about whether your own children have not done enough of their home learning, whether you haven't Mm. been able to support your own remote learning to the full extent, because actually we've just had to dig in and survive this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely well said. So you mentioned remote learning, Steve, and we want this episode to give people some calm, thoughtful, reflective time about what might make that as successful as possible. And we know that the week ahead is really going to be quite crucial, or the weeks ahead, in trying to engage as many pupils from the start of the whole process, because we know if we can hook them in early, we're more likely to sort of sustain interest. Now, what we don't really want to do today is to get into the discussion about what uh, format of remote learning is most effective. And we'll talk a bit more later about why that's not overly useful. But instead, we thought it might be useful to talk about some key principles or key points that are worth considering to help keep engagement high in your remote learning in the weeks and months ahead. So, Steve, I was wondering whether a good 
place to start and you've touched on it nicely there is just really empathizing and engaging with the perspective of our parents and carers seeing things from their point of view right now what are some of the things that will be going on for our communities Mm. thanks russell uh one thing i would say is educators are extremely conscientious and always outward thinking in terms of how we can best support a community and it's really that empathy that you talk about we we need to empathize with our community we need to acknowledge where we're all at because every family is different and the Mm -hmm. makeup of families is different you can go from families that are finding this situation incredibly difficult for whatever reason that could be they have three four children at home and they're all trying to access one device it could be families that are struggling to pay the electricity bill um, because of whatever circumstances they're in they could be furloughed could have lost jobs we're just coming through the winter months as well so naturally costs are more um, so there's survival in that degree and then there are families who are working from home day in day out whatever hours they are whilst trying to support their own children and it's just that stressful situation and I wouldn't like anyone to sit there and think oh I've got it worse than some other people because that's all perception of the mind because actually we all have our struggles and they are our biggest struggles because they're personal to us so it doesn't really matter comparing to others so I think one thing teachers are fantastic at is, is knowing the families and knowing the parents and carers. Mm. And yeah, sure, sometimes it'd be nice to have parents and carers that can acknowledge the situation we're in, but it's that balance. It mm. really is in, in knowing what the situation and the circumstances are and how best they can do it because there will be parents out there who feel guilty being mummy teacher or daddy teacher. And children react differently when they're at home anyway. Mm. Um, so the guilt would already be there. And I think the fact they feel they can't deliver the online learning or support the lessons, they don't have the the methods and the the way, the common phrases, oh, we didn't learn it like that when we were at school. Mm-hmm. So there's that inside the internal guilt. and uh, They need reassurance in that. Yeah. I think parents will always just be thinking about the clarity of the situation as well and getting the demands met yeah i think you've you've summarized that so well steve so i won't repeat you but i think starting from that point of empathy is really important because even if we do have our own children which not all teachers have it can be easy to be so focused on our perspective which is that we want the best for all the children and we want all the children to engage and they're not and be really quite panicked by that. And I know this week, some schools may have seen really low engagement in some pockets. And that can be frightening when you're so determined to do a good job and get good outcomes for children. But it's just sort of thinking a lot of people's lives has just been thrown into chaos this week. And even the families who you think have more stability, I've heard of multiple parents that suddenly been furloughed and so on. So they will be going, oh, my God, you know, what does life look like for me now? Or their businesses they work for might have gone under and so on. So great point to begin with, Steve, is just understanding that perspective of our communities and remaining empathetic to that, even when we're so focused on doing our bit. It's not that we have to solve those problems for people because we can't, but just that understanding will set the right tone. So if I just take that on, Steve, because I know we're going to talk about communication with parents in a minute. But just before we do that, can I take that on to thinking about the fact that 
nothing we do with remote learning is going to work for everyone, is it? I had a teacher say to me this week, she hit the nail on the head. She said, if this was the best way of doing it, we wouldn't have schools, would we? You know, if this was a method that actually worked brilliantly for everybody, we wouldn't need schools. So there's a reason that in normal times we expect everyone to rock up, drop their children. We have them all in one place. This isn't easy, is it? It's not meant to be. This isn't how education is meant to work. So it's going to be tricky. And whatever you put into place is not going to work for everyone. And some people are going to find this harder than others, aren't they? Absolutely. And for one family on the street, it might be that live lessons work fantastically well for them. They want their child sat there nine till three learning um, from their teacher in a live lesson that they can engage with and the parent can focus on their own working position. And then next door neighbour may not have internet access, may not have the devices that they need uh, and have a completely different situation where they would rather have flexible learning time so they can spend time with their child or children and they may want it delivered slightly differently just to because it's a lot easier for them so Mm. this picture with with regards to technology and what is best like we've always said there's one size fits all doesn't really apply here right now Mm. and everyone is in a different boat going through the same storm Um, so we need to understand that and I have had multiple phone calls this week and so has my um, senior leadership team because parents are anxious and distressed about their own situation impacting their child's learning as well as the learning impacting their situation. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you found it, Russell. Yeah, I think we've had a few emails and comments and sometimes, you know, when you're an exhausted teacher that's just like everybody else had to adapt to this really quickly, something that can just be an anxious email can hit you really hard. And we'll talk in a minute about that, perhaps a bit more. You were talking about anxious thinking, but I would just really encourage people to seek feedback from their community about what's working and what isn't. Now, it's not that we bend to every request because we can't possibly do that but there's something in listening to people that has them just feel calmer and feel respected there's nothing worse is there when you raise a concern than someone to sort of metaphorically put their fingers in their ears and go no 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 and (laughs) and I know in the first lockdown that that happened for a lot of parents that maybe shared a concern and then didn't feel listened to and I think recognizing their perspective even if you don't kind of agree with it is really important and we can't possibly fully understand everyone's perspectives until we do listen and we do seek that feedback. And I think when you open up that dialogue in a healthy way with your parent community, you gain respect because they know you're just trying your best and you're listening. You're trying to make it work for everybody. So I would encourage people to seek that feedback and that's not necessarily a a teacher's role. I think senior leaders need to consider about how they, Mm -hmm. they sort of gauge the temperature of the situation But I think being open and honest in your communications with parents that this is something you're working on and tweaking and that we welcome feedback that will be constructive is is a good place to start. Yeah. And I feel like we're in a situation right now where we're starting to find out more about home lives as well of our community. Mm. We can't just presume that it'll be our most vulnerable who don't have access to the technology because that's that's true. Bigger picture within this. And, I think it's a perfect opportunity to try and close the digital gap yeah. and ensure that everyone has accessibility. But I know from a, we've had just a, a small load of laptops arrive out of school at the latter end of this week. 
and the families who we're looking at supporting go way beyond what we initially thought. And it's, it's that accessibility because if our children, in whatever means we deliver this remote learning, if they have the accessibility at their fingertips and they don't need to, to focus energy on really worrying about this, then the learning can actually be delivered smoother. I'm glad you raised technology, Steve. That was something we wanted to talk about. Not in that we have many solutions, because we appreciate that the government has not been overly useful, particularly for primary schools with regards to making laptops available. So we really do get that you might be banging your head against brick wall with this technology issue. But Steve's so right that it's not necessarily just the ones you think that are having an issue. There are people from well, all aspects of society struggling with a technology gap and maybe it's the type of device maybe it's the device but it's broken maybe it's sharing devices amongst multiple people maybe it's that what you see on your teacher laptop comes up differently on their rubbish little tablet and so on and that's why I think the listening and asking for feedback is important but I think for senior leaders I'd really encourage them with technology to have quite a strategic approach to this so something we've committed to that's very simple is a weekly formal meeting, although I suspect we'll talk about it more frequently than weekly, all staff, when they're having interactions with parents, if a technology issue comes up via a phone call or whatever, they're going to record it in a central place. And then we're going to review that document every week and action everything we can action, which we actually did for the first time uh, this first Friday, this first Friday of, of, of lockdown. And we're able to get some devices out straight away that we did have. So that was a good example of where everyone working together having a strategic um, system was really effective and come Monday there's a bunch of children that couldn't access last week that will be accessing next week so I think listening to people having some systems for collating that information about who's um, struggling with technology is really important and that might not just be a google form that you ping out to people because if you've got a technology issue you might not be able to give it <laughs> fill in a google form um <laughs> but phone calls and things from people or or emails because people might be able to ping an email on a phone but maybe not do remote learning on a phone so i think the technology thing is a big issue and i've seen all sorts of different things schools are doing about that i think there are some grants out there that you can tap into that i know my business managers mm. found something she's hoping to uh, get some funding for there are people that have had to ask from their community so it really is a frustrating thing because we all know that a huge amount of our issues with remote learning could be ironed out if the technology was equitable for all in our community point well said okay so let's go back to communication um with parents now uh, well and children what do you see steve as some of the important things to bear in mind with communication again we're not going to tell people what's the right or wrong method because your your leadership teams will um, undoubtedly have kind of set that agenda for you but what are some principles of effective communication at the moment with your communities with your parents i think the main thing we have tried to work on is clarity because in our opinion, clarity avoids confusion. Like and that. at the moment, we are, like we've, we've said, we're, we're in an anxious place all round. And therefore, any communication that may unsettle people further by being slightly grey in content, yeah. we really need to avoid that. So you're so right when you said, don't just presume it can be an emailed letter home because actually some people will not read this letter for various reasons, whether they've got access to it or some people just don't subscribe to letters or they might go to their junk mail. So let's look at the different ways we can communicate. And 
phone calls are incredibly powerful. Mm. And yes, it can be quite frustrating when you have a withheld number uh, from your school, for example, or someone, a teaching assistant working from home who's phoning home's mm. parents and they don't always pick up to a withheld yeah. number. But it's the persistence in a, an active way to think, right, if I can't, if they're not answering my call, what can I then do to communicate with that family? Because communication is essential and some families appreciate it a lot more than others. Mm. But actually, think of the child and they get a phone call from their teacher or, or staff member within the year group. Okay, it might be a bit frosty at first because uh, children can react very differently when you're phoning <laughs> home. <laughs> they might go a bit quiet, but there's an appreciation in there. Mm. And it's quite settling to have a familiar voice linked to education and mm. a different voice from the parent as well. Mm. And discussion with parents can really change the mood. Mm. Um, and I've had parents phone up this week who have been very stressed initially. And then you just talk it through. And you, you break it down to the real small steps that have been achieved. And then there's a weight that's lifted and the child will benefit from this because at the moment we're, we're not able to do face-to-face. So a voice over the telephone goes a long way. I would really agree with that. And you're very likely to receive anxious messages, emails, whatever format you're using from parents at the moment. And you will have an initial reaction as a teacher or a leader, which is to be defensive, which is to get lost in the story they're telling about the issue And if you've listened to any of our podcasts with Stu Newbury and Liz Scott about well-being, you'll know that we we very much believe and recognize that most of the time when people are in distress, they're kind of lost in a story or a narrative they're telling themselves about what the issue is, where emotional intelligence is sometimes recognizing, yeah, there may be a bit of an issue with that bit of online learning or whatever they've raised, but it's, it's sort of masking a whole bigger picture of anxious thinking around, am I good enough? Am I able to parent and be a whatever I am at home for my, for my workplace? Am I getting it right? Am I getting it wrong? Am I as good as the other parent down the road who's showing off online about everything they've done? There's so much extra baggage of anxious thinking. So I would encourage people not to get lost in the story people are telling them about what the issue is. But to, as Steve says, sometimes picking up the phone is a great strategy. And to just listen, you don't have to agree with everything. But the second you get into kind of whack-a-mole and trying to defend everything they've raised, because often when people rant, they'll rant about 50 other things that don't really matter, then what you'll do is you'll aggravate their thinking more. So I think just having that kind of calm to just listen but also point out the strength and the resilience in them that you see so there's something really amazing in calling a parent up who's in anxious thinking say gosh I can see how much you care about doing this right I really do get what you're saying but I just want to I just want to first of all thank you for taking such care over your child's education wanting to do the right thing this week that might sound like it's sucking up and um, being too friendly if someone's being difficult but you just watch how people kind of melt when you realize their perspective and you empathize with their point of view so I'd really I'd really encourage people to just have that emotional intelligence not to take things personally and that's going to be really hard on days when you're tired and stressed which is every day at the moment Um, but Steve (laughs) I did want to come back to your point about clarity because I think you hit the nail on the head with that that it avoids confusion and I would say that leaders it's your responsibility to help with this issue and 
if staff are given too much free reign to all do their own thing with remote learning, you are setting them up for tension from parents who have got sibling, uh, you know, children, siblings in different classes. So if teachers are given free reign to do whatever they want and one's doing x y and z and the other ones just doing what they was thought they were meant to you're going to sort of encourage this competition and, and that's really unhealthy so i'd say for leaders you've got to make sure teachers have got clarity about what they're doing and i think you have to even when it's uncomfortable challenge people who are trying to do extras without checking because you might think oh that's brilliant he's going to go deliver this to someone's house or she's going to set an extra video when no one else has done it but actually you're creating a real tension for everyone else there potentially so for leaders i think it's really important you've got clarity about what the expectation is not allow people just to do lots of extras just because it feels nice because that could cause tension between staff as well but also if you're a teacher who's working in an environment where you don't think those things are clear giving constructive feedback to your leadership as well because many of your leaders will not be having to deliver the remote learning they won't get what it really feels like and looks like and they're not going to be going out of their way to make your life miserable I hope anyway so they will welcome honest fair feedback about what's working what isn't and if you think more clarity is needed just ask for it I know I don't mind that kind of thing I really welcome when my staff ask me those questions because uh, I would hate for them to be suffering Mm. on their own about these things and not telling anybody I do agree and I feel consistency is key right now and we we're piloting different ideas across the key stages and it's acknowledging and explaining to staff what we are piloting explain to parents that the reason why you're this week your year group may be receiving something additional is that we are piloting this to hopefully roll it out across the school but we need to know if we need to make any tweaks to make it even better for every child to benefit and one thing I really say this week is that whether you're an educator, a parent, a carer or a child is actually celebrate the tiny successes that you've made this week and not yeah. be dragged down by the so-called failures that are in, in mind and, oh, I haven't achieved that this week. Just look at what you actually have achieved in the most chaotic week we've had, and you're saying the first, second week of 2021. I love that, Steve. We, we we are so good at still looking at what we've got to do better, aren't we? And that's what makes us so good at our jobs, I hope. But you're quite right. We've come on such a long way. And, you know, I was reflecting with um, my wife, who's also a teacher lately, that they're having to learn to teach in a way that they weren't trained to. And something as simple like recording yourself speaking over a PowerPoint for one minute. (laughs) I mean, we've all got those hilarious anecdotes of that taking 40 times and all those hilarious outtake bloopers that people are sharing on Twitter and whatnot, where, you know, one simple video has taken so many times because it's tricky. We're not used to it. We've been producing a podcast for two years and we still... Mm what our listeners are hearing now is an edited version that's taken out all our fluff ups <laughs> and you know my cat coming into the room and meowing <laughs> five minutes ago and so on all right so steve i wanted to talk a little bit about the delivery because obviously if we're wanting engagement from our children let's say we've done everything we can with technology we're communicating effectively with parents we're empathizing with their situation clearly what we offer needs to be good but we've already recognized there's not one way of it being good so we thought we'd reflect on the um, education endowment funds uh, rapid evidence assessment of remote learning because they've just released something haven't they or a little while ago about some effective sort of ingredients really and they do talk about some of the things we've already talked about so we won't repeat those they talk about access to technology 
Um, they talk about um, the fact that different approaches to remote learning do suit different um, sort of perspectives. And we've talked a bit about that. But I just wanted to talk a bit about the first point they make, which is that teaching quality is more important than how mm. lessons are delivered and I think that would be a relief for some people to hear because it's easy to feel particularly if you hear of people that are live teaching all day that perhaps that's the best and it's not about that it's actually about the quality of what you're doing rather than the format. Yes and I feel um, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said it's not necessarily like the one size doesn't fit all so let's not get bogged down in the the process of the delivery let's look at the aims and the outcomes of what we are delivering and this can be in any means that we feel is necessary and even within the school we know there will be families that would like it received in different ways but if we actually explore the quality of that we're all about quality first teaching and quality first learning so let's really emphasize on that product that we're aiming for how we can follow it up, how we can engage with the family as well. Yeah, and I think for me, Steve, from a strategic point of view, I sent a cheeky message to Nick Hart, who we had on our Deep Dive podcast a little while ago, saying, so what are you thinking for teacher training now? And just like all of us, he was sort of reflecting on the fact that he hadn't had very much time to think about that question just yet. But he was saying, certainly thinking about these active ingredients of effective remote learning would be a really useful thing to be exploring in the weeks ahead with your staff because whatever format you're doing things in, if you keep coming back to the principles of effective teaching with remote mm. learning, that's going to guide you. So on the EEF site, they talk about things like uh, effective explanations, clear explanations. Now, a clear explanation can take many formats, can't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we can look at the advantages of having technology at our fingertips as well to think about how best we can deliver with clarity and an explanation and being concise because we're limited we haven't got that natural dialogue between class and teacher on support staff we're actually thinking outwards and we need to deliver it with precision to ensure the explanation is clear that's a great point precise explanations are really key whatever format you're using and actually i started the podcast by talking about um, the inset I'd done on Monday about clear visual communication and thinking that was irrelevant. But actually, now you say that, that was all about precision. You know, we were reflecting on our advice from Oliver Caviglioli about using graphics and icons, uh, dual coding, basically, alongside a clear explanation. And actually, that's really relevant in the remote format, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's just known of how to communicate that over technology. But the barrier can easily be broken down then to get the most effective use out of it. And because that's so new to us, Steve, there's a real role here, isn't there, for sharing good practice amongst your school, yes. isn't there? So like our staff meeting next Wednesday has turned into open forum, what's working and what isn't, like an initial conversation, because I suspect teachers being who they are will already be doing some different things that work and don't work and will be more than happy to chat that through with their colleagues. Absolutely. And do you know what? This is the privilege of uh, being part of an online community via Twitter and via our Make an Impact Facebook group because collaboration is king. And when you can rely on a massive community that you've got there to support each other, because I learn consistently and constantly from mm. an online community as well as the people I work with. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? That's the best thing. I remember years ago, Russell, when we went into a soft federation with another school to support them. 
and it opened the possibilities for collaboration up. And I've never looked back since then because collaboration is fantastic. And I always feel, don't rewrite the wheel. There will be knowledge out there that can be really important to us and expand the, the mind and the knowledge. And we can all learn together in different aspects because everyone contributes to that pie. And that's why I'm thinking the EF guidance, make sure it's shared amongst staff. Just yeah. drop in nuggets because everyone will take something from it and then bring back more. Well, and they've got lots there, Steve. They talk about the effective, clear explanations. They talk about scaffolding, which is something we do in the normal class environment that you can still do online. And they talk about feedback, which once again, we're reflecting on what does good feedback look like? And mm. we had such a funny moment this last week where we were thinking about the comments we were leaving on lots of work because we were really determined to leave lots of feedback. And then we were saying, it's kind of ironic that we've innocently recreated what we were trying to get away from in books, which is that we, we said that effective feedback wasn't writing the same thing in 30 books, yet we started doing that online. So we've been really thinking, mm. oh, whole class feedback's become a key part of our feedback policy at my school. We can still do that um, in various formats, whether that's a short video or some feedback on the Google, we're using Google, Google um, Classroom on the stream for the children. There's different ways of providing feedback. And our feedback policy for normal time says the teacher's professional judgment about the, the format of the feedback should always be key. So why is that any different with remote learning? So what I hope we will see is lots of transferable um, kind of concepts but it's just the how it looks in detail that we've got to do a bit of unpicking. And I would also point people to Doug Lamov's um, Twitter page because he's done um, what Doug Lamov always does. If you don't know about him, he wrote the book Teach Like a Champion. And, and basically what Doug does is observe good teaching and then say what he sees and, and collate that. So he's been doing the same with remote learning and he shared on his Twitter page someone's summary they've done and some of the stuff he's been sharing, talking about instruction videos this thing he's calling dissolving the screen various other sort of aspects of effective remote teaching so i would point people to go and have a look on there steve and i aren't going to sit here and read it all out for you but there is stuff there about what makes effective teaching and i think this thing about training for your staff in the coming weeks get those materials out in teams remotely on on zoom and be talking it through have a chat about these ingredients okay how do they apply to the format we're using to the software we're using yeah. So we talked there a bit about the delivery and, and, and sort of pointed people very much the EEF guidance and some of that great stuff from Doug Lamov. Something that's been on my mind, Steve, as a parent who epically failed in the previous lockdown to <laughs> support my children effectively rem with remote learning, one of the things that we found really hard is because the learning being set was sequential, we very much felt that if we missed a day or a couple of days, we couldn't get back in. Now, I really get that learning very much needs to be sequential and it particularly does this time because there's a sense that we can't have lots of one-off activities this time when it could last for so long. But if I'm a parent who has perhaps struggled or next week could be a really chaotic week where I'm still sorting stuff out in my family and I haven't got the, the technology yet and so on, I might fall out of the loop of the remote learning before I've even started and then suddenly I'm going to get a phone call from the school who are going to try and be lovely and supportive and a little bit challenging probably and try and encourage me to get my child learning again. We'll overcome whatever barriers we have. We'll get the laptop open that the school's lent me. And then we're going to go, oh, they're halfway through an English sequence. The kid's having a tizzy because they don't actually know what to do. How can we help 
the child in that situation to re-engage when they already feel like they're behind because we all know what it's like when a kid misses a day of school and we have to get them back in this is like a kid missing a week potentially and me trying to get them back into the learning journey any tips or thoughts about that yeah and i let's dispel the myth straight away though uh these disengaged children are not always the so-called troublesome children in the classroom yeah. and they're not the, the or even the most deprived exactly that this could be any child because actually learning from home is difficult and it isn't some children find it very hard to differentiate between home yeah. and school and home school True. Uh, so that's a really difficult issue in itself but this comes back to communication as well and it's essential that a phone call home can help alleviate any of this disengagement and just breaking learning down into tiny steps and yes there's sequential learning and if you've missed a chunk of it let's go back to basics and see what we can achieve and staff play a massive role in supporting the child through this Mm. uh, because they probably won't always just get it from home and a parent would feel guilty as well that they have been unable to fulfill the week one timetable yeah. and want to move on to the next one. So it really is breaking it down and, and working together because when you feel between parent and teacher, you will know that child very, very well. Mm. And you will know what works for a child that's disengaged and that particular child and what would not work. What probably wouldn't work is heaping a load more pressure onto the child yeah. and saying, oh, I can send you last week's work to catch up <laughs> uh, because that just won't happen. It'll, it'll disengage more, if anything. So it's really working together and communicating about what we can do rather than what you have not done. Yeah, we had a lovely phone call when this did happen. Uh, sorry, not a phone call. It wasn't. It was a message through the service they were using from the from the school the children were at, and the teacher said, "Okay, don't worry. If she can just do A and B, I feel like she'll be able to pick back up for Monday again." And that was really sort of alleviated that pressure we felt as parents, even though we were teachers, we felt like sort of absolute failures that we'd got behind on four or five lessons in I think the English at the time, and actually read this chapter do this one activity and you'll she'll be able to cope with Monday's lesson and that was just enough to think I don't have to give up because you do you reach that stage as a parent where you think you're overwhelmed by oh we'll just do our own thing and once you've lost that can be very hard to get them back on so that'd be our advice is to really say to like give parents that route back in if for whatever reason they have disengaged whether that's technology whether that's because they just haven't tried whether that's because the child didn't really want to do it give them roots back in that make it possible and even for some families that might have to be look today what's manageable for you is it just getting today's history lesson done it's better than nothing isn't it and it if we can experience some success again then hopefully that'll snowball back into greater engagement and the good thing about our units of work is they don't last forever or even within a longer sequence it tends to be broken up into sort of sections mm-hmm. so yeah it, it, we're used to having to do a bit of that in normal school time when someone's been absent or on holiday or whatever it's just giving people that those tools to get back in I think that's a really important point and not being so hard on yourself as well yeah uh, there is guilt and frustration from another national lockdown is mm. enough you don't need to place more on yourselves or or the children and Teachers can feel guilty when the members of their class aren't engaged and they feel they're falling behind further, but it's all workable. Yeah, and, and that's such a nice thing to say, Steve. It's not all on the teacher. You know, we like to be superheroes that solve every problem. And 
it's very disempowering to feel like there is something that's not in your control to solve but I'm afraid that does happen sometimes despite your best efforts so be kind to yourself and share that load with those around you senior leaders do want to help I know for me my roles suddenly changed dramatically overnight so anything I can do to help make a success of this the, the better so last thing we thought we would talk about, because we can't cover everything in this one episode, but was just thinking about the whole culture really around this, Steve. And culture is a key word, isn't it? In normal times in schools, how you build that culture of high expectations, success, praise. I'm curious what that could look like in the sort of remote world, because I feel like it could really contribute to engagement if we get culture right. But I could also see how we get that culture wrong and we could quickly demotivate or make people feel bad, which is not what we're trying to do. No. And it all comes back to actually this praise and reward. Uh, it shouldn't just be purely for the outcome of the work because we are, we're acknowledging the situation children are in and how they're working at home, what levels of support they're able to have from a parent or a carer, what the teaching staff are able to deliver. So actually some children may actually feel it's a success that they've logged into teams or google classrooms with ease they've had a look at the work they've attempted the english but possibly not the maths that day because situations arise and therefore you have to be really careful not to discourage and say oh you didn't manage to do this is is a there a reason why you haven't completed your work or or the work itself is not of the highest quality because they're not sitting in the classroom right now so Let's acknowledge and praise them for their effort rather than making them feel bad for that lack of engagement or highest quality work. Because sure, we want to see them still achieve what we feel they can achieve within a classroom. And that's our measurable progress, really. We know what they're capable of. So yeah. in the ideal world, we want a child to do that. But also teachers, don't be so hard on yourselves and feel like you're letting down that child mm. when circumstances have really prevented normality. Yeah, I think, and, and when, when it comes to praise, I think you were touching on this, we don't want to praise things that the children have no control of. I think uh, Jazz Amplifar in our very inspiring episode with her talked about it's not fair to praise things that children have no control over. And I think she was talking about attendance and how she'd sit in assemblies and think, I'd love that bar of chocolate you're awarding that kid for being 100% in for, and but I'm never going to get that bar of chocolate. It's the same with the remote learning we have to praise the efforts people are going to to engage and I can think of families who are sharing one device between four and they've got on and done a bit this week well that child needs really celebrating because that's phenomenal whereas my wife sent me a picture of our girls on Thursday I'm sitting now at our kind of double desk that me and my wife have nice little setup device each end of the desk so that when we're working at home together we we can both work here comfortably both girls sat calmly in this spacious room with headphones on at a quality device now if they're praised for that that's lovely my girls do need encouragement but they've already got such an advantage over over some of their peers in terms of having a, a fair setup and uh, it's just making sure that we're praising the right things and yes we do need to encourage and, and reward those that have got on and are doing the right thing but also really go out of our way to praise and encourage those that are managing to do something as you say even if it's not the best quality up against incredible circumstances if they're if they're accessing a bit of work through mum's phone writing on a sheet of paper and the presentation's dreadful but isn't that an achievement that they need recognizing that they've bothered and and I just think 
in a normal school situation, culture's everything, isn't it? High expectations matched with understanding, relationships. And are you finding as depthy head, Steve, you're reevaluating your role in all that with the online world? Like I found myself yesterday, um, all my teachers kindly gave me permission to access their classrooms. And I posted like a hello video from me onto all the streams. And I thought, because we're using Google Classroom, I thought I'll post it on the stream some classes I won't get anything you know but in every class there was at least one or two comments from some kids that went on and said hello to me and I was thinking I hope I haven't just distracted them from their work but it's <laughs> at least a bit of my role I would kind of do that in the school environment I would knit round I'd be visible I'd check they're okay I'd show that I cared about what they were doing so are you finding in your role you're thinking about things that you can do as a senior leader to still add to that positive culture 100 percent at the moment i'm trying to look into a whole taskmaster series for children oh, to yeah. because we're trying to think beyond the academic and the well let's look at the well-being let's look at the engagement and actually i feel i feel quite guilty in a sense that i like to be very visible at school i like yeah. to form relationships with children and it's the dialogue that you have with the children that is beautiful about working in the school when that's taken away and it's either over a keyboard on teams or the phone calls home that are very structured it's that informal chat and mm. friendliness so you really i really hold on to that so the role is changing there's a lot more pastoral care within it at the moment as well but at the same time it's quite a privilege to have that grasp of the situation as well and yeah. i love talking to every family that i talk to on the phone whether it's a pent-up parent or a child <laughs> that just loves chatting about Arsenal Football Club, for example. But yeah, it's those little graces in this disgraceful situation that we find ourselves <laughs> yeah. in that I just hold on to, and you come through it. And I just want every child to get back to school and it'd be normal. But we have to acknowledge that's not possible right now. So yeah. let's adapt and reform and just see the goodness in this. What a lovely place to end. Uh, we hope that in this podcast we've shared some insights that you will find helpful. I. I really do hope that you also feel understood and listened to in terms of whatever you're feeling right now, all the insecurities and worries you might have about remote learning and this new way of working are completely uh, valid. So we're, we're there with you. We really hope you will seek the support of us as two random deputy heads out there doing our bit, but also running a, a group called Make an Impact Education on Facebook, which now has 16,000 members that join us regularly to laugh at silly memes and share good practice and share free resources. It's become like a massive staff room for the teaching community. And we're so privileged to run it, even though I can't keep up with the notifications anymore. <laughs> we hope you keep engaging with the podcast, which we will continue to do and share lots of brilliant guests in the coming weeks and months. And we hope you also follow us on twitter and instagram where we're a bit sad we don't have so many followers because we're not young enough to really get it that's the main issue but it's at dynamic depths on there too take care have a fantastic week and take one day at a time bye for now goodbye Deputy, the deputy.